Hey guys, and welcome to season four of the Yes People podcast. I'm your host, Savia Rox, and in this season, we get to remember and reminisce back in time with some of our guests like... Hey, we are Entity. And you're listening to... The Us People podcast. With Savia Rox. Hey, my name is Stephen Ridley, and you're listening to the Us People podcast with the lovely Savia Rox. Keeping it positive. Hi, my name is James Green. I'm a TV presenter, sports reporter, and journalist. Hi, this is Joy Langley, and I'm the author of Navigating Stress. Hey, this is Travis Glossop. I am a creative radio producer for KISS FM. And you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. We highlight the strengths of our cultures, talking about diversity and inclusion and speaking out loud and proud about who we are. I was never that good. I was I was determined. I had a love for the sport and that always fueled me. But uh, arriving into London and kind of uh, growing up in a really difficult situation, trying to know uh trying to kind of make sense of my life with my you know with at home and not being accepted by by you know you know by the people around me because there was in the 60s there was tremendous racism growing up in london it's great it's great uh, i'm glad because i didn't i'll be honest i didn't really work that hard at uni so it was good to leave uni and and really like get on it you know really like because i also as a person i think i value I value productivity. A lot of people live to work. I think I am one of the work to live guys, but because my work is amazing, that's all right with me. You know, so as a person, I, I go to bed happy when I've had a productive day. We've also saved the best till last by honoring another artist and showcasing their talent as our new theme song with none other than your host, Savia Rocks, featuring in their song. So guys, enjoy, stay creative, and as always, please continue to be kind to one another. Let's go. Hi, my name is Shelley Epstein and I'm an acrobat and you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savia Rocks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Yes People podcast. I'm your host, Savio Rox, and today I am humbled to have the beautiful Shelly here with me, who is a former acrobat and author. Shelly, thank you so much for coming on the Yes People podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. How are you? I'm okay. Do you know what? Not a lot of people ask me. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot. It's like, it's like one in 20. <laughs> Ask me. No, I'm well. You know, uh, today's been a good day. I can't complain. Every day is a positive, and even when there is a negative, I find a positive in it and move I forward. Love that. I love that mindset and attitude. Oh, so so let's do this. So, Shelly, I've been waiting to interview you. <laughs> you are the first acrobat I've ever had on the show. You have mm-hmm. priority. <laughs> <laughs> So my first question for you, which I adore asking every guest who comes on the show, which is, could you tell us about yourself or where you grew up and how that influenced you to be the person who you are today? So I come from a bit of a mixed background. Um, both my parents are originally from South Africa. I was then actually born in Israel. 
and my parents uh, migrated to the UK when I was three months old. So I grew up in the UK. Um, and then we did a bit of back and forth. So when I was seven, we moved back to Israel and then came back to the UK when I was around 10. So it's been a beautiful journey, like growing up, it really taught me, you know, can, about connections and then saying goodbye. So honestly, later in my life, when I decided to leave home when I was 18, I already had the experience and it wasn't as painful or as challenging um, as it might have been if I had never moved abroad um, when I was younger. And it's a beautiful thing as well. It teaches you that moments are, it's never really goodbye. It's always see you soon. And that people, those really important people in your life will always make an effort. And they're always with you regardless of how far you are in the world. So yeah, for me growing up, um, it was interesting, but it opened my eyes um, to other cultures, diversity and experiences as well, which definitely helped shape me um, and who I am today and definitely giving me those attributes and tangible skills for later in life when I actually really needed them. So yeah, very, very grateful for my, for my upbringing. I, I can't complain. I love that. So my next question is more about who you are and your reflection of who you are. (laughs) She's like, "Uh uh-oh. So can you define yourself as a person, but who do you see when you look in the mirror? But on the flip side of that question, has there ever been a time where you have looked in the mirror and not recognised the person staring back at you? How did you manage to transition and say to yourself, you know, I'm, I'm at this present, I'm in this position at the moment, but how do I positively turn it around and be the person who I want to be and change that vision? It's a really challenging and tough question. And um, there's two points in my life that really come straight to mind when, when you ask about staring in the mirror. For me, coming from a sporting background, one of the biggest struggles there's two struggles. Um, The one is body dysmorphia. So looking in the mirror and actually not seeing yourself for who you are and always picking and almost being a perfectionist, I guess, and and just not ever feeling good enough. Um, On the back of that as well, kind of comes hand in hand is imposter syndrome is feeling inadequate, feeling like I don't belong here, why, questioning why am I here? And really, I, especially in my field and industry, I've, I've had this many times. I'm like, I don't deserve to be here and doubting my own abilities and going back, making it more of a positive, going through those moments of literally staring in the mirror and not recognizing yourself or feeling those really strong negative emotions really taught me to then look in the mirror look at myself and and it's very hard to 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 even say it and and i guess i'm trying to say is be able to look in the mirror and give yourself those positive affirmations and see yourself for who you are and appreciate your journey and where you've been and you are there for a reason you were chosen for a reason 
and um, you are enough and you are good enough. I feel as I've grown as an adult, as well as an acrobat, I'm able to look in the mirror more. I, I remember times in my life where I couldn't even make eye contact with myself. And I know it's also a metaphor and we're not really looking at the mirror. However, it is something I have practiced at doing to be able to see myself for who I am. Yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know how to define myself, which I think is quite a challenging question, but I am proud of who I am. And I think that being able to even say that is massive in my opinion and through my journey and experiences. So um, without a definition, I would rather just say, I am proud of who I am as a person and as an individual. I love that. That makes sense to me. I think it's hard to define anyone self because at the end of the day, the way we see it, you're not defined by your title. You're not, de you're not defined by the materialistic things that we have in our lives. So I think as we're all on a journey, our vision of who we are and how we define ourselves changes every single day. So that's one of the best things is not to be able to define yourself. So I'm so proud that you actually said that rather than giving me an answer. I actually appreciate it. So my next one for you is, how did your journey begin within you being an acrobat? Because there is a lot of trust that you need to gain, not just from yourself, but also the people that you work with. You know, when you're in the air, when you are training, um, even when you, especially when you're on stage in front of so many people, there is a trust that you must have between you and your team. How do you manage to gain that trust and be your absolute best? I love so many things about this question. I can speak about this topic forever. I love it. Um, <laughs> But um, I'm just going to put it out there now. I have, I have just written a book about my life journey and it kind of does cover this. So if you are interested in learning more, please refer to Flying High Life Lessons Under the Big Top on Amazon. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to go into details and I'll tell me when to stop or hold no, back. No, I'll, I'll tell you, keep going. we got hours. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Um, so I started out as a gymnast at three months old. I had a lot of energy as a little baby and my mom took me to baby gymnastics to like get rid of my energy and it actually just encouraged it. It didn't help, um, in any way. Um, she said as a, as a child, I was a bit of a nightmare living in a flat and like trying to climb, scale the windows and they just had to keep cupboards, everything closed um, as I would just disappear in a flash of an eye and be up somewhere ridiculous um, for a little youngster. Um, so yeah, I started off as a gymnast at the age of four um, at my local gymnastics club. They uh, selected me for the squad and so that's kind of where my training and my journey really began. So from the age of four to 12, I trained as a artistic gym, gymnast um, and was at a decent level. I always say I was never, I was never that good, <laughs> um, but I was, I was determined. I had a love for the sport and that always fueled me. When I was 12 years old, it was the first real point in my life where I listened to my instincts yeah. 
And um, something was telling me that this wasn't for me anymore. I didn't have the love and the same passion anymore. All I knew, I wanted to still pursue gymnastics in some way, but maybe not the artistic gymnastics route, which is very, if you're not a favorite or if you're not at a certain level, you know you're not going to make it to the Olympics. And I knew deep down that's everyone's dream as a kid, you know, when you're training in a high-level sport is to go to the Olympics. And already at that age, I just knew, I just knew I wasn't, I wasn't good enough. But, and I wasn't, you know, gymnastics is such a strange sport because you peak at such a young age and it's a short lifespan. Um, it is changing, but um, yeah, I just knew. And that was okay. And I was very, you know, I was like, I'm okay with that. Um, but I, all I knew I wanted to do was I wanted that fire. I wanted that love and passion for the sport again. So my mom actually found me um, a local team called um, Charles Hill Gymnastics Display Team, which specialized in display gymnastics. And that incorporates three elements, which is tumbling, which is something I absolutely loved. I loved floor and I was so happy to hear that they had that. It was like great. The next thing was dance and performing, which was very new, but I was like, this sounds awesome. And the last was um, the sports acrobatics where you're climbing people, you're being thrown in the air. And I was just so excited to get involved. Um, so I moved to Child's Hill and I stayed with them until I was 18. And honestly, it was the best move for me. It was then learning how to work in a team, how to build trust, how to perform as a group. You're not an individual anymore, whereas artistic gymnastics, you you do have an element of team, but you're, they're also you're, you're, you're competing against them. So it's, it's a weird situation to be in, whereas when you are a proper team, almost like cheerleading is the best way I can say it's similar to, but it's different. Um, so yeah, I was with Child Hill until I was 18. And um, I really grew as an acrobat, as a performer, and really taught me about stage presence and, and gave me even more motivation to, to pursue my career, to be on stage. Um, I'll backtrack a tiny bit because I did miss out one of the key elements. <laughs> is um, when I was 11 years old, my parents took me to see a Cirque du Soleil show at the Royal Albert Hall. And I looked, I watched the show and I was in absolute awe, my mouth to the floor, like the entire time. And after leaving the show, I said, mom, dad, that's what I want to do. I want to, you know, like I, I had this vision and um, that stuck with me throughout the rest of my life. It was always, you know, in school, people obviously didn't really take me seriously when I said it. And yes, in hindsight, I like looked at other career options, but nothing really piqued my interest as much as, wanting yeah. to join the circus um at 18 years old i saw an audition on a poster in a gymnastics gym and i just i just rocked like i skived school i don't know if i should be promoting that but <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think we've all done it yeah i bunked and i went to this audition and honestly it was the hardest thing in my entire life still to this day like i don't know adrenaline is a powerful powerful tool it sure is got, got me through the day and they were like okay so we'll see you tomorrow and I was like what tomorrow and um it was for part two of the audition which was in a swimming pool and I was like okay um I didn't really realize what I was signing myself up to so um 
did a bit of research when I got home, found out it's a water show. The show was in Macau. I was like, I don't even know where Macau is. And for those of you who don't know, it is an hour from Hong Kong, so China. Um, but it is owned by Portuguese colony, so it was a bit of a mixed influence. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting place. So, yeah, after the audition, they were like, oh, we'll be in contact. So they then contacted me in January of 2012, and um, I was finishing my A-levels at the time, And I just said on the phone, I was like, oh, I've got to finish school. And they were like, yeah, sure, no problem. And after the phone call, I said, mom, dad, I'm, I'm moving to China. And that's when my journey, my journey in the circus really began. I um, yeah, withdrew my UCAS application. I was like, done. I'm, I now have my, the beginning of my dream. You know, I get to go do what I love and perform and, and learn. And I was so excited. And yeah, that's, that's where the journey basically started. Um, happy to go into more detail if you want me to. Yeah, go for it. I'm I'm all air. I'm, I'm your... <laughs> sure. Um, so then I moved to Belgium. The headquarters of the company was in Belgium. Um, it was the Franco Dragon Entertainment Group. And I was training for the show called The House of Dancing Water, which unfortunately today doesn't exist, but maybe one day it will come back. Um, so who knows? So yeah, I, I did three months training in Belgium, which was brutal. I learned so many different things. Um, I learned scuba diving because um, of the entries and exits onto stage on the show is underwater, which like blew my mind. Um, I learned 10 meter diving. I remember on day one, I said, I'm not jumping off that. And I did. <laughs> so just always breaking through those comfort zones. We did a lot of harness work. I had no idea... Um, like how to fly in a harness and they told us to spin and I remember I was like okay I'm gonna go full gas I went full gas on the first time they sent me up and down I unclipped and I ran to the toilet and <laughs> there was so many learning experiences I was so naive but it was beautiful as well um I then learned chandelier which was working with the partner and and learning trust and I actually didn't really have a fear of falling or being dropped. It, it, it didn't bother me, but I just, I fell in love with this chandelier act, this discipline of cradle and learning hand to hand. And that's when I was like, I want to be a flyer. Um, and ultimately, ultimately the last discipline, which is the discipline I, I liked the least. Yeah. And I always say it chose me. I did not choose Russian swing. And um, so I learned Russian swing to water. And that was the start of my career in Russian swing, which is now my specialty. And that's why I say it chose me and I did not choose it because I wanted to be a flyer, do a trapeze cradle, which I still do. But um, apparently I'm way better at flying on Russian swing for some reason. So I'll explain Russian swing a little bit just because it is quite a foreign thing. It originally comes from um, Eastern Europe. It's a traditional circus discipline. Yeah. The original concept, which we I will go into a bit later, but the original concept is two giant swinging pendulums. And I know you can't see me, so I have to really think of the articulation of how to describe it. Yeah, they're like two giant swinging pendulums 
on the one side, let's say the right-hand side, it doesn't really matter. The right-hand side, on the back of the swing, you have your pusher. And on the left swing, on the back of that swing, you have your catcher. Myself, as the flyer, will load the pusher's swing on the right-hand side. And I will take a couple of swings. And when I'm ready, I'll call my up. The swing, the pusher will then do a pullback and then basically catapult me into the air. I jump this gap. And then the catcher will make sure the swing is there for me to land onto. And I land on the opposite side of the swing and swing on the other end once I land and then deload the swing. The pushers and catchers uh, switch their roles throughout the entire performance. Um, but right now on the House of Dancing Water, I was learning Russian swing to water. So there was only one swing. They launch you as high as, you, as they can in the air. You do all these crazy tricks and you land in water. Water can be great and it can also really, really hurt. I was going to say. Yeah, but it hurts less than another swing or a mat, you know. So back in the day, I didn't really know <laughs> any different. But um, it really taught me to build confidence. Um, and I learned a lot about myself as an acrobat. I had learned tricks that I didn't even know was possible or feasible um, from my gymnastics background. So... Yeah, I, I improved tremendously, which was an incredible thing. So after the three months in Belgium, we, we moved to Macau and we got ready for the show, integrating into the show. So then I performed on that show for three and a half years. As I was ready to leave, I applied for Cirque du Soleil, which was my dream show, um, my dream job. And um, yeah, they, they, they were like, we would love for you to do a character role, but also fly swing to swing. And I was like, excuse me, swing to swing. And they were like, yeah, swing to swing. And I was like, uh-huh, yeah, sure, sure. I'll, I'll just say yes. <laughs> I'll just say yes and I'll deal with it if and when I have to. Um, so I arrived in Montreal and I had to learn swing to swing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is the, this is the discipline I said I would never do. Like, what am I doing here? And this is where, in, in Macau, I worked with, loads of different nationalities but doing russian swing to swing you only get russians belarusians ukrainians and, wow. and a few people from kazakhstan so everyone speaks russian and i joined this team and i'm the only non-russian speaker and that was like that was challenging and the other thing with that kind of group you have to gain their respect yeah and I just kind of was like, la, 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 I do Russian swing. And I knew they had to like strip my technique because I learned from such a different discipline. Like it was the same, but it was completely different. It was, I actually think it was worse that I had a background doing swing. Um, but yeah, eventually I learned swing to swing. And I, in my head, I was like, oh my gosh, if I, if I hate this, I guess I have a three-month probation. I can leave. If I'm terrible, they'll, they'll fire me. And, and I'm in a company, you know, I'm, I'm with, with a team working in a really safe environment. Like, this is the place to learn. They're not going to, you know, just throw me in the deep end. So I was like, okay, let's day by day and it, it was frustrating it was scary but 
I ended up falling in love with it. And to this day, I still, it's a love-hate relationship. There is no other adrenaline source like it. To be fair, I haven't done all the crazy things yet. So maybe if I were to go skydiving, that will be my new fix. I don't, I don't know. But um, so far in my life, I've done bungee jumping and that wasn't, it's not the same as doing Russian swing to swing. So yeah, there's no other adrenaline source like it. So going back to the trust thing, working in a team where no one speaks English, where you have to gain their respect. It's, uh, it's intimidating, but also you don't really have a choice. You just trust blindly until God forbid something goes wrong. Nothing thankfully did. I now have a very, very good relationship with everyone on that team. And, and it takes time to build, you know, rapport and trust with, with people, but in a training environment where you have to do what you have to do, you, you have to trust blindly. You can't be like, Oh no, otherwise you're in the wrong place. They would, they would, they would kick you out very, very quickly saying, you know, you just, it's part of, it's part of the line of work. So that's how we deal with it. Yeah. Thankfully nothing ever went south um, within the team, but um, yeah, it, it, it all worked out. So yeah, trust, trust is a powerful thing and um, it's a beautiful thing as well. I, I think I trust too easily just because of that. Um but yeah, that's that's how you learn. I think that's you sound similar to me. I've always had this thing in my life. I think it's maybe because I'm a Buddhist as well, where I give a hundred percent trust to anybody, and what they do with it is up to them. And I've always mm. kind of lived my life like that. And I know sometimes in life we get disappointed. Yes. But the most beautiful thing is, is that we allow them to have the trust, and that says yeah, something about us. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very true. It's really beautiful. And I, and I really admire that, but I can also see the repercussions of it, obviously. Oh, trust me. Hurt and disappointed. And yeah, putting yourself in that position is not an easy thing to do, but it's incredible that you are still able to, despite being burned, still being able to put yourself in I think it shows patience as well. And especially everything that you do as a person, patience, kindness and love I think after the three well there's four there's forgiveness also but we'll get into that a little bit later I think those are for me a few of the main things that keep you from being that make you so unique in the world and show people that you're unique in the world because you have them and you're able to sustain them so I love that so much yeah I, I always say if I were to go like all I want to be remembered for is being kind. And I think <laughs> there, there's no harm in being a kind and decent human being. And, that, and we need more of it in today's society. People can be so cruel. And um, I know. Yeah, it's, it's such an easy thing to do and it doesn't cost anything. I always say, one of the things I always say is how I treat you is a reflection of myself and how you treat me is a reflection of yourself. So when someone is unhappy with their lives that's when they are cruel because they are unhappy with who they are as an individual i've noticed when a person is happy with their life they will never inflict any pain onto yours because they are happy with who they are 
And that's another key thing about the people that you choose in your life. We don't always have a choice because sometimes the people that come in our lives are meant to teach us lessons. And we need those lessons to be stronger. I love that. Yeah, so it's kind of... So everything you've said, I'm so happy that you've said it because it teaches us so much about what you do. My next one for you, which I really want to know is, what is a day like in your life from when you wake up in the morning? So I know you have told me about training and trust already, but what is a day like in your life from when you wake up to when you decide you're tired and you (laughs) want to rest? So I'm currently in a transitional phase in my life right now. So I don't know what what day in the life you would like to hear because my day in the life today is very different to what my day in the life was seven months ago yeah so it's up to you oh okay let's go before the accident and then we'll go after and if you don't mind I was going to throw another question in there but only with your permission if you were to tell us about the accident but that's only if you would like to of course yeah, of course. No, I'm more than I'm more than happy to share. So I'll start with pre-accident, and then and then we'll go with post. Um, so yeah, I would wake up normally. I would say around nine, ten o'clock. We do we finish we finish quite late. So wake up in the morning. First thing I always do is go to the gym. I have an hour to myself. I love fitness classes, so probably going to one of like a fitness class, coming back, having a protein shake, shower, get ready. If I have time, um, I would maybe like go for coffee with a friend and then make my way to work. And then when I get to work, um, depending on the day, I'll go for a one show day. So a Tuesday and um, that's the day we have the most trainings. So I would start with hoop diving, which is one of my backup disciplines. So I have hoop dive training for about an hour, and then um, I'll probably have 15 minutes in between. So I'll then go and change um, my shoes particularly because we have special shoes for different disciplines, um, and then grab – actually, no, I, I would, I'm lying. I wouldn't really eat anything in between, especially not before swing. Um, so then I would get ready for swing training, and then we have about – an hour and a half of swing training and while swing training is going on it's a really slow discipline to train for so many people because only one flyer can fly at a time we train with lines always except if you are training a new trick you need to take the lines off a couple of times before you feel consistent and safe enough to perform it in the show the other exception is Post-COVID, we hadn't trained for over a year and a half. So going back to training, we had to, I mean, we're responsible adults. We take off the lines as many times as we feel necessary and comfortable um, to perf- to be able to get back to that performing level. Um, otherwise, you always train in lines until you get to the show. The lines are not there. You train without the lines. So during a swing training session, it's very slow. People tend to do five, maximum 10 jumps for each trick. I would say even less. Some people do one because they're so consistent, maybe one to three or one to five. Maximum, if things aren't going smoothly, then 
five to ten jumps and then you switch person so that gives you a lot of empty time when you're not jumping so on the side we're doing either stretching or conditioning um so we're always kind of moving making sure we're warm or mentally preparing for the discipline and then after swing training i'll go have some food and after that i will do my makeup and get ready for the show um, do a bit of a warm-up. If we have a meeting before the show, we'll have a meeting. Then after the meeting, we it's give or take um, 40, 30 minutes before the show starts. So getting ready, warming up, um, putting costume on, finishing the rest of the makeup, and then starting mental preparations to get ready to perform the show. In between the shows, some people eat. For me, I won't because Russian Swing is in the second half of the, act, uh, of the show. Um, so between, I, I actually is more downtime for me. I just kind of breathe, chill, socialize with people and then act two starts. And that's when I switch headspaces and start mentally preparing. I warm up for swing, mentally prepare, and then swing is performed. And that's the finale of the show. So then we do the final number with, where everyone comes back on stage together. And then we take our bow. Normally, um, after the show, everyone's very ravenous. So we eat quite late, um, around like 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And then we make our way home. And it takes a while to decompress that adrenaline to come down. So I'd say my bedtime when I'm performing is around 1, maximum 2 a.m., um, so that's, yeah, that's a pretty normal day in the life <laughs> whilst performing. Um, and then, yeah, so unfortunately in January of this year, um, the show was returning um, and we were premiering in London, um, which is my hometown. So I'm, I was so excited. Um, there were lots of other factors that went with this. So obviously... We were, th- thankfully, I mean, I performing for a second time in London was, was, was just, you know, the icing on the cake. In 2020, our show um, performed in London and we made it to Russia, which was our next city, and then COVID hit. We all got sent home. We all lost our jobs, unfortunately. Um, and then in 2021 is when we all got started to get contacted about the relaunch of our show. So we started training in October 2021 to come back for 2022. So we had a three-month training pro uh, a training program, I guess, um, to to get back into the swing of things, to relearn the show, teach new people. Some people didn't return teach new technicians. So really coming together to, to get comfortable and bring the show back to life. So we had a three month training process um, in Wakefield for three months, um, which brought us up to January. Unfortunately, in December, there was a bit of an outbreak of COVID within our cast and crew. So um, we moved to London a little bit earlier. Those who had COVID stayed in Wakefield, those who were free, came to London. So we kind of split up for a little bit um, and we were testing on a daily occurrence. So unfortunately I tested positive with the week before premiere 
And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to miss premiere. I was like all in my head. I was like, okay, negative vibes. Like I was taking all the supplements underneath the sun to get rid of it. And thankfully I felt really okay. It was just more like a cold. Um, And the day before the dress rehearsal, no, sorry, the day of the dress rehearsal, I tested negative. So I was like, woohoo, I can come into work. It was seven days. That was the... Um, process if you were testing positive still you had to isolate for 10 days so um, I was allowed to come to work I did a COVID test Um, it was negative I had swing training I did um, all the tricks that I needed to do for that night took the lines off everything was safe everything was good and so I was like woohoo great tomorrow is um, we had swing training again a technical rehearsal and a private preview so in swing training um, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm, I feel good. I'm going to go for my bigger trick. I was like, great. Did it twice without the lines. It went really well. I did it the day before. It went really well. I didn't perform it the day before, however. So give or take what you want with that. We then had a technical rehearsal, went really well. And then the private preview came and things were going you know, it was our first time back on stage with an audience. So excited, so much adrenaline. And um, yeah, we get to the swing act. And the beauty, the nice thing with the swing act is that they allowed us to take our masks off because it's such a dangerous act. The mask um, sometimes came over our eyes and it's so dangerous. So they allowed us to perform without the mask. Um, so yeah, we got on stage and I did my first trick and adrenaline was running very, very high. Um, that could be a potential factor. I had adrenaline the day before, so I have learned how to manage adrenaline so what happened with Russian swing to swing, there is such a small margin of error, really small. And my shoulders were a fraction. Like when I say a fraction, it was like centimeters. Like they needed to be tilted forwards ever so slightly. And I would have been okay. My trajectory was a little bit short um, and short means you're not going to make the other swing. The, I tend to have a habit of going long for safety in my head. I have never been short on that trip particularly. So again, there's many other contributing factors. I will not blame anyone. You know, I have a pusher as well. I think he gave me, he might've had adrenaline and he gave me a little bit of an extra pop at the end, which cuts my rotation short as well. So if I'm a little bit short, he pops me, that brings me even further away from the other swing. The rule of thumb is you always have to make contact with the other swing. Otherwise, you're falling from a big height, I would say about seven meters to to nothing. And the swing is obviously higher, so it's a good contact point. The first point of contact was my foot, which went into super hyperflexion, and then there was a slight rotation. Um, I then was lucky. I grabbed the swing with my hands and then I rode the swing down until I hit the mat, which sounds worse than it was, but it actually broke my fall. I say I'm very lucky because if it wasn't my foot, it would have been the next point of contact would have been my hips or my chest or even my head. And the worst would have been hitting nothing. And that could have been, I don't even want to actually think about it. So I am very thankful it wasn't as bad as what it could have been. Um, I said I was okay. I stood up immediately and I was like, cool. I'm, I'm, I, I genuinely 
felt okay, but I had adrenaline like soaring through my body. So I took a moment on the stage. I said, I gave a thumbs up. I said to the audience, I was like, I'm okay. I'm good. I'm good. Like I looked bad. I knew it looked bad. And I just got up. I was like, I'm good. Um, so I took a moment. I was like, all right, trying to do a full body scan. I was like, is my head okay? Shoulders, knees, um, hips, foot, like, and I was like, oh, something, something doesn't feel right. And um, I then stood up just to like give a little test. And I put weight on my left foot and my leg just kind of was like jelly. I was like, oh, that's, that's not good. Um, and I tried walking. I was like, something isn't right. My leg was like giving way. Um, and I had another three tricks to do. I had a cross with a girl and um, where we jump over, she jumps over me and she was looking at me. She's like, are you okay? I was like, um, give me a moment. I don't think so. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not jumping. So she did the jump without me. And one of the pushers came up to me. He said, are you okay? And I was like, mm, no, I don't think so. I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off stage. So I managed to walk myself off stage, backstage, down the stairs and wait for physio. And with swing, it's such a, you know, it's a high risk act. So I just waited till the act was, was finished. I wasn't, I didn't feel like I needed urgent care. So I waited for the physio and um, yeah, then they took my shoe off and the swelling kicked in and they started doing some manipulations. And that was the first time I kind of realized that I wasn't going to be performing the next day, which was premiere. And that was everything I was working up to. And it was really, it was more heartbreaking um, than the actual injury itself. The injury itself, I, I again was in denial for a very long time. I didn't realize the severity of what I had done. I just thought I've had injuries Previously, I thought it was like ligaments, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, it, will, it, it won't be too bad. But um, after doing the MRI and getting the results and being told I needed surgery, I, it was the first time I've ever had a big surgery for an injury before. I was like, oh, I've actually, this is a bit more serious than what I thought or made it out to be. I really downplayed it for a long time. And even now I'm still... I reflect, I'm like, I don't know how I survived that part of my life, but I did. And I'm so proud of myself for getting through it and still living life and doing all the things I wanted to do on crutches on one leg. It was hard, but I managed and I got through it and I live to tell the tale. And it's only onwards and upwards now. There was no, after like that moment in the physio, when I realized I wasn't going to be on stage and then the next day being told I needed surgery it was then I was like well it is what it is I, there's no point in dwelling it's not going to change the situation I just have to take every day as it comes and make the most of it I would love for everyone to know about your book yes right now so <laughs> please feel free to talk about your book thank you for sending me a copy for oh. me to have a chance to read it it's funny because i was at bar's house and he said look <laughs> she's got a book so i was so happy to to even have it but then you sent it over to me and that was even better because i had a chance to just sit there oh. and and read it so thank you so much please oh, tell you. us about your book <laughs> thank you so so much for reading it so uh, I COVID and um, the first lockdown. I don't know what I'm not. A, I'm not a writer, but I just started writing out my life, like my journey. And I, 
I didn't, I wasn't anticipating to write a book by any means, but I just had, I find writing very cathartic and I just felt like I had learned so much along the years and I just wanted to like get it out of me almost. And um, I gave it to my dad for some reason. And he was like, you know, you're, you have something here, you have a story to tell and um, you should write a book. And I was like, oh my gosh, how do I? He was like, just keep elaborating slowly, slowly, like build on what you have. It's great. You've got the foundations. And I was like, okay, but I, again, I'm English is not my forte. Like it's, I, you know, can't spell to save my life. Like the first versions of the book have so many s- stupid spelling mistakes. Like I just, it's not my specialty. And um, so I actually posted on Instagram and I was like, look, anyone interested in working on a writing project, like being a goat, maybe helping me be a ghostwriter or rewrite, rephrase what I have put on paper. So I found a ghostwriter and he basically rewrote everything that I had written. Mm -hmm. And then we did interviews and he got more information to build and elaborate my story. The only thing with the ghostwriter if I were to go through the process again, I would like I would I would try harder to to keep my voice in there. But I'm mm. very very happy with the beautiful flow, and he did an incredible job because I was not able to do that, and he did what I couldn't do. So I'm very very thankful. Um, so yeah, I just basically wrote about my dream, my journey from when I was a little kid to joining the circus, and then fulfilling that dream, and how I did it, and the life lessons I learned along the way again with COVID I had never been to university and it was the first time I was like obviously performing isn't a sustainable long-term career at some point my body will give out and I will need to do something else so I was like what interests me and I have always had a fascination for psychology so I was like yeah let's go into sports psychology it's something I I didn't even realize until I was studying studying the modules and units. I was like, wow, I didn't even realize that I was doing these techniques without, you know, knowing um, what they actually were and why. And they genuinely really helped me. So I used some of my knowledge from the sports psychology in, and then implemented a little bit of it into the book just with some life lessons and um to aid in in explaining my journey and what I deal with, like with stress and being able to bring my heart rate down and controlling it. And um, yeah, so it's hopefully a motivational and, and inspirational story for hopefully the younger generation to pursue and follow their dreams and know that limiting factors shouldn't be a thing or you shouldn't have to you know, you, you should deviate from the social norms. You shouldn't have to be put in that box and be like, okay, you have to go to university. You have to do X, Y, Z. If that's not what you want to do, if you are a creative, if you want to do something that's different, don't be scared and find the right support to help encourage and help encourage you to do that. Because, I mean, everyone has to work, but why not do what you love? And if it's not fulfilling, there's no point in, in sitting in an office day in, day out, doing something that you really despise, it's just going to eat you from the inside. So that's my, that's my biggest message is to follow your dreams and hard work pays off. Obviously, everyone's circumstances are different, but 
I really am a true, like I've been told previously that you're not talented, but you work hard. And in the beginning, I took that as an insult, but now I'm like, that's the biggest compliment. And I, and I stand by that. I, I stand by a hard work pays off and, and I think you can achieve anything you, if you really are dedicated, it's not easy. We all have ups and downs and my book will explain that I have really as speaking, I've gone over the surface level, um, of, of a lot of it. So, um, yeah, life is a journey and it builds resilience and makes us stronger and yeah. yeah. So yeah, please, please feel free to read it. (laughs) You said, you said you hope your book does something for people. I don't think you need a hope because it will. I think that's, I think that's one. And there was another one that I was going to say, but I was so into what you were saying, I lost my trail of thought. (laughs) No, 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 never be sorry. Never be sorry. So I completely lost my trail of thought, which is, which is actually a nice thing. Ah, the other thing where you were saying that people weren't necessarily saying that you were talented, but you worked hard. There's the one. One thing I've learned is that the people who really make it in the world are the people who work the hardest. And the smartest. Not always the people who are gifted. Because the people who are gifted think and know that they are gifted. And they think they don't need to work as hard because they know that everybody else is behind them. Whereas the person who is the last one who feels like they don't have the talent. Who has the you know, identity syndrome or whatever they might have within themselves. Will be the one to kick ass. Excuse the way I say it. To kick ass because of how passionate they are about what they do and they will be the ones to thrive in front so that's exactly who you are and that's exactly what you do oh, okay thank you. that's the way and anyone who comes on the show and you know says you know what Savia I work hard and I may not be the most talented person like I am the most dyslexic person you'll most probably find <laughs> I'm serious but I love what I do when it comes to interviewing people because I don't know anybody else that will write 100 questions per guest <laughs> to to get their story out of them so eloquently and passionately the way I love to. So everybody has a different gift and we just all work differently to get it done. So you have it, okay? In my opinion, you have it. So that's my one for you to take with you. So, oh, thank you. Oh, you are more than welcome. So... A question that I would love to ask you is, when was the last time that you felt totally at peace with yourself? That's a great question. You know what? I actually think it was fairly recent. And because I've been on this whole injury journey, it's taught me so many things. And the biggest thing it has taught me is patience. I am not a patient person. I have learned this. I want things done now. I want to do this. I'm like, I'm a go, go, go person. Like, I don't know when to stop. Like, and it's really taught me to literally, because of physical limitations, to stop, like, be present. And I have just a whole new gratification for the small things even walking, walking, I, no one would realize to appreciate walking until it's 
taken away from you and you take you realize you t- took for granted um being able to walk normally again like without the crutches without the boot without anything yes sometimes it's painful but I'm able to do it and I'm so grateful and I feel like this whole process has really grounded me and opened my eyes to many, many things and really taught me a lot about myself and has made me work on the parts of myself that aren't as good as the others, you know? So really testing and teaching myself patience, which is great. I've learned how to slow down. I've learned how to just be and I think that's such a hard and beautiful skill on stage our director told us one of the hardest things to do is just be on stage doing absolutely nothing then taking that into a into um, a normal daily activity I really struggled and reflecting and listening to what he said and being able to do it now I think that is one of the biggest gifts he, as the director, has given me because I, I'm just wasn't really present, if that makes sense. And I feel like I've got that now. And I'm, yeah, I keep repeating myself. I realize I'm sorry, but um, yeah, the groundedness is I, I'm a lot more aware. I love that. Time has flown so quickly, literally. I only have one more question for you, which is, <laughs> which is, I would love for everyone to find out where you are, how they can contact you, you know, yeah. if they would like to find out more about you. But most of all, where can they find your book? I know you said Amazon is one. There might be other places, but where can they find out just more about who you are? Yeah, no, of course. So um, on Amazon, if you type in Flying High, it should immediately pop up or type in my name. And so there's the Kindle version and the paperback version. So right now, the only place that it is available is on Amazon. Um, However, if anyone does want like special uh, author signed copies, I do have a couple of author copies. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, That I am happy to send people and we can coordinate the details. Um, otherwise, uh, you can find me on social media, uh, Shelley Epstein on Instagram and TikTok. I'm a lot more, I'm a, I'm a lot better at Instagram than I am at TikTok. So <laughs> I'll be real there. <laughs> Aww. I haven't even started TikTok yet. I don't know why. Everyone's like, you should do TikTok. But I've never started it. Yeah. Oh, dear. If, yeah. And if people do want to like reach out and message, I have a website and there's a form. Fill it in, uh, shellyepstein.co.uk. But yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, no, you wasn't interrupting. This is your time. This is all your time. So I've had the pleasure of interviewing you today. And I want to say thank you so much for having such a detailed interview with you. Do you know what? It's most probably one of the most detailed interviews I've ever done. Oh, thank you. I don't know. Yeah, I go on tangents left, right and center. Oh, it's good to go on a tangent. I hope it's been a good journey. No, no, it's definitely been a good journey. And I'm I'm so, so grateful for you and your time because time is precious and who you share it with is one of the most beautiful things that you can do in the world. So thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Thank you so much for having me, really. I would love to know more about your story. Do are you on your podcast do you have an episode on you? Do you know what? Funny enough. No, I don't. Cool, next next episode. <laughs> yeah. Gotta keep my energy and peace of mind. I protect my energy and peace of mind. Gotta keep my energy and peace of mind. Peace of mind. 